Hello, I'm John Steele of Cafe Direct, and this is the Building Better Business podcast, a podcast that examines how business can and needs to be more than just making money. Unraveling how we create new business models to better serve our communities and the environment. This really is the future of how we'll do business and how we can all play a part. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. And to say thank you, the first 50 reviewers will receive a £10 voucher to spend on our delicious speciality coffee at Cafe Direct's London Fields Roastery. Just send photos of your subscription and review to podcast at cafedirect.co.uk by midnight on the 21st of November 2021. Before we get started, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest. James Rutter is Chief Creative Officer at Cook, and he's been there since 2015. Now, Cook is a pioneering handmade frozen food company. And what's quite amazing about Cook is it has a culture that is really, really, really strong. In fact, it's been ranked in the top 100 best companies to work for. Not once, not twice, but every year since 2013. At Cook, James will tell us that people are the top priority and he'll discuss with us some of the initiatives they have running through the business that focuses on making the most of the potential for all of their staff. Cook have some quite fantastic schemes that help people who really need it most to get back into work and use the business to really help the local community. And they do this in some imaginative ways, which really can be an inspiration to us all. It would be great to start off really by um, hearing a little bit about Cook and Cook's ethos, really. Gosh, so Cook, so so we're not quite as old as you are. I don't mean that personally. I mean that um, in a company sense. So we're a few years behind. So we're 24 years old this year. People are often surprised at that because they often feel like they've kind of only just discovered us. But yeah, we've been around a little while. And we set up back in 97. And by a couple of guys, a couple of wonderful, I kind of think of them as uh, big hearted entrepreneurs, Ed and Dale. And in many respects, their friendship and their relationship has been the kind of blueprint for Cook, I think, because they were two guys who are very different, you know, from very different backgrounds, kind of, you know, Ed went to public school, you know, speaks a bit posh. Dale definitely didn't go to public school, born in the East End, doesn't speak a bit posh. Um, you know, come up through the ranks in, in the kitchens on like boats and restaurants and what have you. And and they just struck up an unlikely friendship, to be honest. And through that, when Ed came up with this idea, and he was from a kind of a food business background in terms of his family owned a, a bakery that did frozen frozen cakes. And he just thought, well, why does nobody do frozen homemade meals? And he kind of, you know, had this idea and, and Dale, who was one of his customers for the family bakery, actually, he started chatting to Dale about it. And Dale said, oh, that'd be easy, easy to make homemade frozen meals. Yeah, any, any mug could do that because that's kind of the way Dale is. So that's where it all began, really. They came up with this mad idea to, to make homemade frozen meals. Dale discovered it wasn't remotely as easy as he thought it would be. And so there were a few uh, few tears and mishaps along the way. But essentially, that was it. They, they had a little kitchen over in East Kent. They had one shop in Farnham, and they started selling homemade frozen food. And from there, so that little thing, fast forward 24 years, and what are we? We're, we're 90 shops now. We're kind of nudging £90 million in sales this year. Employ, gosh, 1,600 people, 
Yeah, quite a ride. What a wonderful way to start, though. I mean, that that unlikely friendship and that coming together. And then, as you say, the rest is history. That's absolutely incredible. So from Ed and Dale and from the relationship they had, and you talked about ethos at the start, and that has really shaped the heart of Cook, I would say. And just as they're they're kind of very big-hearted individuals. And Dale's retired now, but Ed's still co-CEO with his sister Rosie. But they're both just really lovely people. And they've brought that to Cook to work, to business, just throughout that 24 years. And in some ways, it's all remarkably simple. You just turn up to work in a way that is going to be kind to others, where, where you find people you like working with, where you can build something together. It's not rocket science in many respects. You know, I think, I think there's that innate belief we have collectively in the goodness of people and people's potential to surprise both themselves and other people and what they can achieve. And if everybody just comes with that that real open sense of what we can do together and honesty and kindness and care for each other, then it's actually not that difficult in some respects. It is difficult in many other respects, but to bind a group of people together and do something remarkable. It's powerful and it, it gets the most out of people being able to be their own authentic self, doesn't it? I mean, I think that is just... I mean, work is still work and there's still a lot to be done and everything, but it just makes you feel valued and involved and that you're you're able to be yourself, which I think is, is so important, isn't it, in life and in business? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that pro- in some ways we have in common, I guess, in terms of your relationship with farmers, is there's been that societal sense of devaluing certain types of work or types of profession as being low-skilled, no-skilled, less important. And yet, as we've seen over the last kind of two years, all those types of work were suddenly hugely important, hugely essential to everybody. And actually, one of the things I genuinely love about Cook, and and perhaps you have a similar experience, is, is the fact you get to work with people across the full range and spectrum of backgrounds, types of work, education, whatever kind of stereotypes you might want to put on it. And what you find uniformly is no matter where you look, you will find people who are just as motivated, just as driven, just as talented, regardless of what they might be doing, who you can have a great conversation with, who you can just treat as a, as a colleague on, on the same footing. And as you say, do something really just enjoyable together when you turn up for work. It is the most important and powerful aspect of, of everything. I think I, I've been so humbled by the way as you touched on with, with us, with smallholder farmers, their contribution in, in the boardroom or, you know, yesterday's 30th anniversary, the, a wonderful man from Peru, Raul, who made a talk and it was just, everybody's just taken away by it and, you know, blown away by it. And then on a, on a day-to-day basis, the people you work with, the people talk about diversity, but when you're actually living and breathing it and respecting it and letting everybody's opinion and view and contribution come together... It's kind of wondrous, isn't it? I mean, it really is. Completely. And I think there's a sense in which, you know, we've reached this point where now, you know, technology is so mind-blowingly sophisticated and could do so many wondrous things that us mere people will never be able to do. But that, at the same time, is almost opening, I think, this space for us to rediscover what it is that uniquely people bring to, to work, to jobs, to businesses. And actually, if we can step into that space more, then that seems to me hugely exciting. And there's so much kind of energy and productivity and just fun to be had by really trying to, if you like, inhabit the human space of work and let the, let the machines get on with what they do best. But we can do some amazing things as people. Let's not forget it. No, it, it is remarkable and it feels like it's here. And as you say, the, the technology and the way we've found ourselves using technology in the last couple of years as well, it, 
it's really helping to open our, our eyes to it all, isn't it? The amazing thing about Cook, and you talked about the, the founding of it, there's a lot of people now, and I, you know, we will probably both feel this in the same way, who are desperately trying to retrofit purpose into their business or trying to demonstrate the kind of mission-led approach to business. Um, but yet, you know, some of these businesses have it in their DNA, and we're so fortunate to have that. Talk a little bit about the kind of purpose of Cook and some of the things that you're incredibly proud of with regard to that. So whilst Cook's been around 24 years, I would say it wasn't until, gosh, 10 years ago, which was shortly after I arrived, that we really started to explore this whole idea of of having a purpose and thinking about our business in a different way. And that was purely in some extent, a matter of timing, a matter of growing up and a matter of, to be honest, coming across the B Corp movement, if we're, if we're honest, that actually gave us a really robust framework within which we could think about some of those things. Today, everybody talks about purpose and it's become possibly a little bit trite. But, you know, 10 years ago, it was still quite an unusual thing in many respects. And getting your head around it was a bit of a brain ache. And what that kind of first encounter with the B Corp movement actually in the States gave to us was a sense that actually there's something really concrete here. There's something that's really tangible. There's something that can actually help shape our business decisions in a productive way, both for the business and society. And there's also a load of other people who think the same way we do, which is a wonderful feeling to have. So that, I think, was in many respects the pivotal moment. It brought some structure to what had always been within us in terms of like a good-hearted, a big-hearted business, but not quite sure how that would play out in terms of the day-to-day. Suddenly, we had a way of expressing that and putting it into practice and seeing it progress and grow and deepen over time. So that was a very long-winded reply to that, wasn't it? But that idea that then out of that, you know, we took a good few years circling around what we thought our purpose was. We redefined it a few times. It's still evolving. And I'm a big believer that that actually you need to keep it evolving. You, you shouldn't write it in stone and say that's it for all time. And through that, we, we've got clear on what we do stand for. We've got clear on how we can express that through our business. We've started now we're on a second cycle of really putting together concrete plans and goals around our purpose, not just around our business, and seeing the effect that those can have. You know, who knew? Plans work. You know, a good, clear plan with a bit of motivation, miracle. So really, I think having the, the big ideas and, and as you say, having it through your DNA, having the motivation is great. But then a lot of it actually comes back to those business disciplines in terms of how do you put that into a shape that's going to fulfill not only your business goals, but your purpose goals. Most definitely. I think um, the wonderful thing is the way B Corp has enabled you to have that kind of structure and discipline that then brings it to the surface and makes it a constant that you then deliver and progress against rather than it being something that's in some little function in the corner where you go, oh, yeah, we do purpose. So it's, it's wonderful to hear that journey for you. What is lovely about this conversation is how you feel about, about Cook, which is just great to feel. Let us know about one of your proudest moments in, in, the, in your time with, with this great organisation. It's hard to pick one. I don't know if pride is quite the right word because the moments that stand out are often, to be perfectly honest, kind of nothing to do with me. You know, I'm really not that much involved. But to see what other people have achieved is is quite gobsmacking. I mean, two big things that do stand out is 
One is our going to the graduation for our raw talent scheme that we run. So, so raw talent is a program we do for people who have kind of big obstacles to work, to getting back into work. And often that's time in prison. It might be drug addiction. It might be mental health. Uh, there might be refugees. So anybody who would other, who basically would struggle to get a job elsewhere, we try and give them a home at Cook and give them a good career at Cook as well. And the RAW in that stands for ready and working. And the way, way we do it now, it's been going about six years. We've had now, gosh, 120 odd people through it. We've kind of evolved it over time. And we now have a two-week training program that people come and go on. And then out of that, they get a job interview and potentially a job. But the end of that two-week training is a kind of presentation where they stand up and they talk to a room full of people just about their experience. It's just one of the most kind of humbling emotional kind of experiences at Cook I think I've ever had because you're sat in a room and people who have had to endure some really tough things in their lives you know be it the way the way they were grown up the situation they were in um, some things sometimes of their own making but you know have plumbed depths that hopefully you and I John will never see and yet to see how they can respond to Again, it's back to that human connection. Respond to people who genuinely take an interest in them and their well-being and their potential is just incredible. And it really brings home that that idea that actually nobody is ever beyond hope or beyond help or beyond actually stepping back into themselves and seeing that they can actually progress themselves and take themselves to a new place. And so that is just an incredible thing to witness because it, it does, it kind of restores your faith in humanity in, in many respects and equally makes you just feel hugely fortunate for whatever you have and whatever kind of luck you've had in life. So that, that would definitely be one. Fantastic. I was going to say, you get so much more, don't you, when you have that. And any um, situation where adversity is overcome, the emotion and the feeling, it is just astonishing, isn't it? And it's just some, some of the best moments. But you were promising me too. I'm trying to work you really hard now. So no, so And the second one, which again was, was an emotional one, was actually from, from lockdown, from the first lockdown last year. And when at the very start, when everything was everybody was panicking we decided very quickly that we as a company needed to at least do something you know in terms of what we could do and so we set up something called the kindness fund with the idea that our customers could could just come to our shops and take food to their next door neighbors or family who they were looking out for you know if they, if they were shopping for somebody else and then everything got locked down so clearly that wasn't quite going to work and so instead we asked our customers oh do you know any local organizations who are trying to get food to people and if so, send them our way and we'll help out. And again, through that kindness fund, I think it was just the stories of, it all comes back to connection, doesn't it? And, and relationships and people looking out for each other. But the sense in which suddenly you could see that there were people around all of our shops who would get out, pick up some food and take it to people in real need. And we're feeling about just some of the real tragic stories and people, be it through illness, through loneliness, through isolation. And, you know, we're fortunate enough that our shops are in some of the most affluent areas of the country. And even in those areas, there is always a darker side where people are forgotten, the people on the margins. And the fact that we could help in whatever very little way just felt like a really, again, a privileged position to be in. What a wonderful piece of the power of community. I mean, it's just 
it's just fabulous and and again it's such a people thing isn't it when you when you see that and um people choosing to do those kind of things moving into a, a slightly more kind of technical area i suppose but um i mean food waste which is a kind of astonishing and terrible situation that the world has got itself into what have you at cook chosen to do about about this yeah, food waste is a biggie for sure. And one of the things, you know, we do like to, because we are frozen, we have a frozen product and hopefully our product is delicious that very little of it ends up being wasted. So so that is a genuine kind of benefit in terms of food waste of what we do. But obviously we do at the same time operate two big kitchens and those kitchens obviously take ingredients in and not all of those ingredients end up in our product. We've been trying really hard to get our food waste down and our target, our goal is to get that down so that 1% or less of all the ingredients come that come in the door do end up as waste. And anything that's wasted already, we put in one of the first independent anaerobic digestion systems in the country. Anything that can go into that does. But the goal is to get that kind of edible food waste down from it's around about 1.75%, I think, at the minute, to 1%. And we were doing really, really well until COVID, to be perfectly honest. COVID just created such chaos in the kitchens that some of the measures we put put in place to try and kind of improve processes to reduce that for understandable reasons have slipped. So so we've gone from, I think we got it down as low as like 1.3 pre-COVID and that's crept back up. So we're refocusing on that. And we're also trying to think where we do have anything edible left over at the end, how might we be able to repurpose that? So, so is there, we've done it in a very ad hoc ways in the past. So we send some leftovers to a kind of a drop-in shelter that's nearby. We do some work with Fair Share as well to redistribute food. But I think over the next few years, we're really looking to whether we can create a very systematic way of anything that's left over, usually in any kind of bulk, i.e. that could easily make a meal for a few other people. How can we get a system in place to enable us to re- redistribute that as well? So food waste is a tricky one, and we're hopeful that we can get that down and equally get on track with the, one of the sustainable development goals of literally halving our food waste by 2030. But particularly if we can repurpose what's edible to feed people, then that would be the goal, I think. But food waste, again, for us, and I don't know what the equivalent would be in your business, it's, it's a classic win-win, isn't it? Because let's face it, waste in terms of ingredient coming in the door that isn't converted into product is a bad thing for the business not just for the planet and everything else it's it's a real win-win so finding those type of areas where it's kind of a no-brainer to focus on it and get it down because there's a business benefit there's a social benefit then that's almost the kind of the richest territory yeah i I think um it makes it a very appealing territory for everybody to attack with the same kind of vigor and determination that you're demonstrating as you just talk about you know the progress you're making the pandemic which is something completely of course outside of your control you're still sensitive to the impact that's having and how you then make the next step so no it's um it's great to feel how you're you're really uh, engaging and determined to keep moving that forward it's interesting i mean i don't know what you think about this but taking that food waste example I think one of the challenges we all have as as businesses is to a degree the desire to only give people good news and to always have the good news story that we're doing X, we're achieving Y, we've reduced this, whatever it is. And of course, the reality is never so simple. We're all on a journey that's going to be a somewhat winding path and involve some kind of missteps along the way and, and some bad news along the way. And how can we lean into that 
a bit more and take customers with us on that journey so that we don't always feel that, that unless we've got the best news story possible, we can't say anything. And that actually owning up when things go wrong is actually productive because often it helps other people think, think actually we can do something here we might not be perfect today but but we can start progressing and actually if we make a misstep it doesn't matter so i'm just interested in how how can we do that a bit more proactively as businesses feel more comfortable in not being perfect and sharing our missteps a bit i mean it strikes me that that is kind of fundamental we listen to a lot of people saying they're moving towards net zero they're doing all these great things but when you're moving from something that's incredibly wrong to being slightly less wrong and you're being proud about it. it. It's kind of, we need to get people to think and kind of own up in the way that, you, you know, you, you guys are prepared to because, and we were discussing this yesterday at this event, the world has kind of got huge challenges societally and in climate change and, and so on and so forth. And we're all learning and feeling our way through this, but it's still often through the lens of, oh, we were really bad and now we're a little bit less bad. Aren't we good? And it's like, we probably need to call it out a bit harder ourselves, don't we, really? And um, then if we all do that, perhaps others will change their rhetoric and their behavior a bit faster and harder. But it's incredible. I think it's all shifting. And I think the B Corps movement and the, the kind of work that um, yourselves and others are doing is helping us to say, well, why don't we just explain what's wrong and what we're going to try and do about it and be honest about it rather than just go, you know, the marketing department has said, I can talk about the fact that we're, you know, 5% less worse than we were the other day. Hooray! So no, I think that's that's really, really kind of meaningful thing to think about. If you and anybody else is interested, there's actually a really good report from a few years back by Futera. Yeah. Do you know those guys? Yeah, they're yeah, a yeah, sustainability yeah. consultants. Yeah. And it's called The Honest Company. And they're making exactly this point, but making it with a very, I guess, through a persuasive lens of, look, if you, if you want your brand to really stand out, there's space here to be owned where you are known for your honesty and for not being the typical only positive news everything spun in a positive way but actually honesty is is increasingly what customers want to see from a business and getting over that fear of telling it straight being a negative and into the space where actually the only way we can progress is by being honest by being open to our errors helping each other navigate those and taking your customers on that journey and not pretending that they only want you to ever be uh, the angelic kind of angel virtue in your space. No, well, I think that Futura report on the Honest Company is is well worth looking at in detail. It also, I mean, this is this applies to business, but I think it also applies to everybody as human beings and certainly the change in attitude to mental health and well-being that's, you know, quite importantly um, progressing with great momentum is the same kind of feeling isn't it that for years society meant that we always said oh you yeah, know we're fine good to see you we're fine and it's quite clear that you know we need to get used to being a bit more honest about where we are and that can only help us then to change stuff so I think it's a really important point you're making for us as people as well as our businesses so and keeping on that kind of theme Cook as a business has been consistently voted one of the Sunday Times' top 100 businesses. What does that mean? And what does that mean in terms of the, the kind of cultural aspects of the workplace? 
it's really going back to to where we started and just that that sense of kind of connection and um, community and relationship that grew out of Edendale, I think. And all, I say all kind of in a very dismissive way, but all we've really tried to do is scale that in terms of a, a culture that's now whatever it is, 1600 people strong. There's the big things, but it's really in the, all the little things day to day and everything that you'd expect is in there. So some very clear values that we, we genuinely believe in, that we constantly talk about, that we ask people to to tell us when they see them in practice that we keep them very, very alive and constant in the business, no matter where that is, if it's in the kitchen, the shop or the office or wherever, same values apply to everybody. But all those, again, are, are very much rooted in, in how do we just have great relationships as people. And like I say, you know, one of those values back to that honesty is, is uh, called Churchill's pig. And it's based on a, a quote from Winston Churchill, who said that a cat looks down on you, a dog looks up to you, but a pig looks you in the eye and sees its equal. And so that whole sense of, yeah, how can we be honest both as a business, but as people within that business? How do we always look each other in the eye, no matter who we are, as an equal and give an honest view? So, yeah, that, so that culture is genuinely what we think makes the difference. What we do in and of itself isn't that amazing. You know, we make lasagna and we freeze it. Kind of the recipes that we've shared the recipe loads of times, you can go and take the recipe and do it yourself. You know, there's nothing to stop anybody doing kind of what we do. What makes the difference is our ability to have a strong enough culture that our people will come together day in, day out to make that the very best possible lasagna they can in the most responsible way that we can while constantly striving to get better, while constantly seeking to build better relationships with each other and with our customers. That's the kind of magic that's going to make it. The lasagna is almost the byproduct of all that magic. Yeah, so for us, you know, that cook culture is is the secret ingredient, I guess. You can share the bit of the recipe on the page, but that um, kind of how you come together and why you come together does clearly create a, a most amazing lasagna. So <laughs> your modesty is still shining through there. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on in the world. Um, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic that is uh, causing great um, challenge and change. Cook and Cafe Drets and these businesses, they are really responsible. They're clearly, you know, thinking well beyond some of the traditional aspects of business. That does mean um, looking at business in a different way. And some people looking in on this would say that means you need to make some sacrifices. I think both on a personal and a business level, how do you see the importance of principles and responsibility? And yeah, I don't like to use it, but that that does mean you are making sacrifices if you look at it in a certain kind of way. So sacrifice is something I've been pondering for a little while, funnily enough, because it's obviously you know, in all the big religions, if you like, sacrifice is there as a, as a very fundamental element of what those religions stand for. And equally, then when you step back and you think about life and, and how you progress and what you aim for and what you seek to achieve, there is also often some sacrifice involved. And again, this is perhaps linking to, to the honesty point and the Churchill's pig point. And one of the things I'm always very clear with people when, when I talk to them about becoming a B Corp is that, that you only do it because you think it's the right thing to do. Don't expect the badge to bring any benefit because... If we're honest, it brings a lot of ball ache. You know, it's incredibly testing. It's incredibly time intensive. So you go into it with your eyes wide open. And you could argue there's an element of sacrifice. There. You're going to have to give something up for it. And 
and recently I heard I heard this guy called James Kerr who who's wrote a very good book about the All Blacks rugby team called Legacy and the culture that's within the All Blacks rugby team. And uh, he was talking about sacrifice and he phrased it, and this was on an individual level, and he phrased it as, what are you willing to give up for who you want to become? And I actually think that's a really interesting way to approach the idea because I think it works at both an individual basis and at a business level. And what I genuinely believe, and I, I think I, lots of people think differently, is that I think you do have to give up some things to become a truly responsible business, to become a truly sustainable business, to become a business that's going to be um, positive for society, for, for people and for planet in the long run. There are certain things you're going to have to give up. Now, those might be short-term sacrifices, but you shouldn't be under any illusion that they're not going to have to be made. And you need to approach that with very eyes wide open from both your your kind of the team as a management team, from the shareholders, from the employees, that whereas on the one hand, we live in a, a society which is often everything can be had, you know, there isn't, everything's available. I don't, I can be this and that and that at the same time, nothing is out of my grasp almost to being actually, no, but we want to be something valuable. Who we want to become is something that's really important. And therefore, we are willing to give up certain things to get there and accepting that and leaning into it and not being weighed down by perhaps the comparisons with some people who aren't prepared to give those things up, I think is actually very liberating if you can get to that space. How wonderful. I think I love the the thought that, you know, if you're clear on what you want to become, then I think then you can you can face those sacrifices and accept them and be really at ease with them what you're saying to me it's it's that sense of knowing what you want to become must liberate because the word sacrifice sounds quite heavy to people and people no, it does, you know yeah. they've got all this stuff that they want to have and have now and so i think it just it feels so exciting that you're feeling like you're giving me advice that says know what you want to become and then you can make those sacrifices with such a great context that you, you are you're liberated completely aren't you absolutely yeah, it's almost as you say it's almost the it's like sacrifice sounds is a heavy word. It's, it feels like a very negative thing, but it's almost, you can almost shrug that off and lose the weight of it because you're no longer seeking to compare yourself with somebody who isn't aiming for the same vision that you are, as it were, and be comfortable with that. Another of my f- current favorite little phrases is, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. And I think particularly in business that's true and i would say at cook we're often victims of that we're we're so busy seeing feeling like everybody else is doing loads of things that we're not doing that we fail to stand back and appreciate that actually what we're achieving day in day out is truly remarkable and something that we should take real joy and real pleasure in not in always worrying about what other people are up to wise words it is amazing isn't it how we all have this capacity to compare when really you need to know where you are, what you want to become, and then get on with it. And all the other stuff is is noise. But for some reason, mankind loves to um, compare the car on the driveway or the bloody size of their houses or whatever it is. And in businesses, you you know, you compare your market share, whatever you do. And um, yeah, no, what a what a great conversation. I think if we've got people who want to start a business and they want to start a business that's got the kind of ethos and power that you know you clearly feel at cook what advice would you give to entrepreneurs that want to start a business and make a difference i think i'm the worst person to give any entrepreneur advice 
I, I don't think I would be a very good entrepreneur. It's just not my kind of modus operandi. I also think what's so exciting is that to start a business today, you can put in from day one all the principles that cooks had to acquire over a much longer period, you know, and you talked a bit about retrofitting. You know, it's a hard thing to retrofit, but actually what you see today from some of our competitors, some of your competitors, actually they can start with all this stuff already in place. You can start with a great sustainability plan, with a great way of actually being net zero from day one, with some incredible kind of cultural principles in place, with wonderful kind of social impact programs. All this stuff can be baked in from day one, priced into your product or service, there in your margin, in a way that I think that's often the obstacle for more established businesses when they're trying to move in this direction. Again, back to sacrifice, you know, and they're not willing to give up that little bit of margin today for actually what they want to become in 10 years time. Whereas as as a startup, that opportunity is there. So I don't really have any advice other than, wow, take the opportunity, you know, put it in from day one. There's some great free, you know, B-Lab has some great free tools that you can put yourself through to see how you measure up. So use all this incredible resource that's out there to set up a business from day one can be the kind of business you really want to be. And then just, yeah, go for it. Isn't that exciting? I think um, it is. It's just as an entrepreneur, and I'm with you, I, I would make a terrible entrepreneur. I've, I've tried a few times, and I know. But the fact that, you know, with B Corp, you can go and use the open source um, platform and you can work out exactly where you want to be. That sacrifice word's out the window, isn't it? You, you are starting in a much better position. I look at the food industry in a very different way now that I work for a, a kind of farmer-led, smallholder farmer business. And um, from where you're sitting, James, what needs to radically change in the food industry? And to make the question tougher for you, you know, how do those changes need to come about? This is from, a, I guess, from a climate change perspective, I think it's interesting today, actually, a story in The Guardian today about our meat consumption. When we think about what we eat, and how that then cascades through food chain and the food system and back up again to our plates, as it were. I think this shift to eating less meat is the thing that really has to change. That, that's going to be the biggest lever for so many other things. And so the story in The Guardian today was actually, you know, we, we have reduced our consumption. I think it was 17% over the last decade or something. But actually, that needs to be another 30% over the next decade. And interesting, I, I genuinely think that is a very achievable goal. I think we could exceed that with the right will, the right level of will. And one of the things that I think we've been most surprised by in a positive way at Cook is we set out a few years ago to really boost our non-meat or our meat-free kind of offering. And it's gone way beyond what we really thought at the time. And I think there's a lot of momentum, as we all know, behind behind kind of plant-based, vegan, veggie, whatever. There's so much momentum that that is one area where I can see with a little bit more kind of government help, policy help, we could easily get that. And that is an area where I'd be optimistic because, because again, we're just changing the way we eat. I think so many people offer great meat-free meals. Now, again, back to sacrifice. You're not giving anything up in terms of flavor, enjoyment, taste, whatever. You know, it's there for the taking. So that would be my pick. You know, if we can train our sights on that target, get everybody aligned behind it, that is one thing that we can definitely achieve. I absolutely love your answer because often we'll get very um, complicated and answers that are difficult to grasp and action. And, you know, what you're describing there is is so within our grasp, but could make such a big difference, couldn't it? And I, 
I, I think that's fantastic. I think, um, you know, you get people answering the question with lots of technology and lots of stuff that's quite remote. But um, that behavioural change is in our grasp. It, it can be done. And you go into a, a grocery store or you visit Cook or whatever, and there's so much available. As you say, from a sacrifice point of view, there's some delicious things that you can get involved in. I mean, I'm reading a book at the moment called um, How Not to Die because uh, I'm getting a bit old. <laughs> I'm not like you, James. I'm getting a bit panicky about this. And this book is basically, it's about one thing, which is basically a plant-based diet is not only the future for the planet, but as a human being, it has benefits in every dimension. And yet we have spent generations going the other way. So no, it's it's a, a great answer to the question. And I think it's one of those things, again, that we should... There's joy in that, back to kind of this sacrificing. But there's genuinely joy in discovery and of new flavors and new ways of eating and new meals and then new ways of growing food and new types of food. And this is where, and I'm not a remotely political person, but, but this is where some of the trade deals potentially that are being struck and, and some of the support that actually isn't coming for farming in this country is really important. Because like we say, this is within our grasp, but with a bit of policy help and a bit of clear, clear kind of a clear push from the right kind of side of things, we would get there so much faster. And there's nothing to be afraid of. It's a win all round. It is astonishing. And I think it's a wonderful, graspable opportunity that is big. I mean, it's, 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 it's a small change that will make a big impact. And uh, no, it's fantastic. I mean, hopefully people get the impression. And this I genuinely believe, you know, Business is fun. You know, it's, it's really fun to be doing something that you believe has a good outcome. And that's not to say we're perfect, like we've all said, you know, absolutely not. But we're on the path and, and the other people on those paths are great fun people. And you get so much, it's so rewarding to be able to chat to you and to other people in the B Corp movement from whatever side they come at it and feel that sense of energy and feel that sense of collaboration and support. And the idea that actually, you know, genuinely business can be a force for good. And there's all these companies living that day in, day out. It's got real momentum, hasn't it? And and the point you're making there, I mean, it is just the best way of living your life. I mean, why would you go and work in some place that had different values, that viewed the world in a, a way that clearly isn't fair and isn't positive? I mean, it's just it's just the best way of, of living every day, isn't it? I mean, it, it truly is. And we employ a lot less people than, than yourselves. But every single person, no matter how difficult a day might look from the kind of technical aspects, is just full of the energy and the joy of, of what they're doing because they are better know, to your point, where they're heading and they're, they're part of something that they feel really matters. And that's, that's got to be an amazingly good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, John, for the invitation. Yeah, and, and lovely to see you again. James, it's always a pleasure to listen to you and, and have a conversation with you. Thanks, James. Such a thoughtful conversation, such a kind of human discussion there. And so good to hear of some of the amazing initiatives that Cook do and that we can all learn from. Bye for now. Look forward to you joining next time.